You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hello there, podcasters. This is Chad Dotson, host of Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. In just a moment, we're going to speak with Mark Sheldon, the beat writer for MajorLeagueBaseball.com that follows the Reds around, get his take on the 2009 squad. But first, I just got to mention one thing. The Reds opened the spring training season by whipping the Tampa Bay Rays. Yesterday, um, they whipped the Philadelphia Phillies, the world champion. So now we're talking about the National League, current National League champion and the defending American League champion. Out of the first three games, two of those games the Reds have uh, beaten those two teams. I think that it is clear at this point that the Reds are 2009 Reds are going to be the best team in baseball, perhaps one of the best teams in baseball history. And maybe you detected a note of sarcasm. I don't know. But either way, let's go ahead and talk to uh, our old buddy Mark Sheldon. We're here today with Mark Sheldon. Mark's uh, the beat writer for the Reds uh, for MLB.com. He's beginning now his third year uh, with the Reds. He was with the Twins for, I believe, five years before that. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing good. Actually, believe it or not, this is my fourth year. So oh, it's, uh, it's going fast. Oh, wow. I, I miscounted. Four years. So, so, And you were with Minnesota, is that right, five years before? Yep. Before yep. This? Five seasons in Minnesota, and then this is uh, yeah my fourth one year, starting my fourth. Well, you're a veteran then uh, of this game. Getting there. Yeah, good deal. Um, well, h- how do you like being a beat writer, I guess, uh, just to start off with a sort of vague question? Tell you what, I- I'm very fortunate. Uh, I was able to find in, in, in really in a, in a very nonlinear sort of career path, I was able to find a job that merges my two great passions, which is baseball and, and writing. I've always loved writing. I've always loved baseball. And growing up, I never really felt that that was going to be something that I was ever going to do. I never dreamed of being a baseball writer. But uh, it's a job I was able to get into and, and uh, with MLB.com, and I've been very, very fortunate. I really I enjoy the business. I enjoy, you know, writing. And, and what I really enjoy is just the challenge of it. It's such, a, it's such a job that makes you have to really just start over every day and kind of come up with something new, and you have to bang out all these stories under deadline. So it's uh, very, very fortunate. Uh, no doubt. Uh, now, to sort of talk about this sort of circuitous route that you took, I believe, if I'm not uh, mistaken, if my research hadn't failed me, you got a political science degree from uh, the University of Cincinnati. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. I uh, graduated from Cincinnati at uh, 1994 with a degree and did absolutely nothing with it in in terms of politics. <laughs> <laughs> That's a. Uh, I found that interesting because just about the same time, as a matter of fact, I got a a government degree uh, from University of Virginia, and that's basically a political science degree. So we sort of went in different uh, uh, different directions. Um, but here we are, I guess. Uh, yeah. Now, is it tr- true at some point you ended up at ESPN for a period of time uh, in some capacity? What was that? Well, I, I was the, an assignment editor at ESPN uh, starting in 1997 in, in Bristol, Connecticut. What happened was after I graduated from UC. Uh, well, while I was going there my senior year, I got an internship at the NBC affiliate, uh, WLWT, and it was something I, I really took to. I worked on their assignment desk, and, um, and out of college, I got a job with the ABC affiliate across town and, and then kind of worked my way up, and I went back to the NBC affiliate and did really well there, and uh, then I just decided to just go for it and apply to ESPN, and I got the job there, and I moved to Connecticut, 
and it honestly didn't work out very well. It was not a very pleasant experience. It was weird being in Connecticut. Even though I was two hours from where I grew up in upstate New York, it was still just a, I got too uh, Midwestern and too much to love for Cincinnati, and uh, it was just a tough time. I, I wasn't very challenged at the job either, so I was really uh, you know looking for a better challenge, and I decided to move back to Cincinnati. But, yeah, I had an about, I think, about a little over a year and a half run at ESPN, and it was definitely an opener. It was, it, you know, it definitely helped me focus a little bit more on what I wanted to do, and I realized then it wasn't TV. No doubt. Well, now you're full circle back in uh, Cincinnati. Uh, now, the, the three full seasons with the Reds and, and five, I think, with the Twins before that. Uh, right. Any any big differences you've noticed between those two organizations? Uh, yeah, believe it or not, I mean they're they're both similar in the sense that they're they're a little smaller than maybe obviously the big Yankees or the Red Sox or the Mets or the Cubs. And you, you kind of have an opportunity maybe to, to know more people around the organization, not just the baseball side, but the uh, you know the front office side. Uh, but the hugest difference is continuity. The Twins, when I got over there, the manager was Tom Kelly the first year I was on that beat, and that was, it ended up being his last year. And he was a manager for 15 years. He's been replaced by Ron Gardenhire, who's still manager there. The general manager was Terry Ryan, who ended up lasting 14 years. And he gave it the job over to his assistant, uh, Bill Smith, who had been there for a long, long time, you know, as an assistant. So, uh, you know, the, the team president has been there from, you know, you know, 20 plus years and it's just one of those places where everyone's the same obviously it's had one owner who just passed away a couple months ago but he's the owner since 1984 and with the reds you've had you know multiple gms i've already had my my third gm since i've been on this beat um i guess my third manager a lot of the a lot of the team has uh, been rotated out and it's just it's just a different you know scenario and i know they've had a few different owners obviously since mark shot so it's I think I think the big thing is continuity, and you can tell, and it shows in the records. I mean, the Reds have had you know starting and stopping of rebuilding plans, and the Twins have kind of had one linear, straightforward plan, and it's served them very well in the last decade or so. And that's what I was going to say. You think about the record of success the Twins have put together. Uh, there aren't many teams that wouldn't take that, and that's got to have something to do with it. You would think uh, just uh, the, the same guys, you know, uh, they're all the time executing that plan, sticking with a plan. Well, what happened with them, and it was before I got there, but in the, uh, they had their World Series in 1991, and then when they came out of the player strike, uh, the, the GM Andy McPhail left, and Terry Ryan came in, and basically the team was on, on you know, on, long in the tooth, and he blew up the team, and started from scratch, and it was very long and very painful for them to go through it, but he never wavered. He he went with they went with development and they went young and they went with prospects and they brought players up before they were ready and just lived with what the results would be, knowing that they may have gotten the right guys and they were confident in their in their planning that they endured it. But by the time 2001 came, that team was competitive. It only finished six games out of over you know to the Indians, and by 2002 right. they started a run of three straight playoff runs. So it was a you know it was, it was it's tough to do sometimes, especially to tell your fans. Hey, we're not going to be competitive for a while, but guess what? You know, down the line, we'll reap the rewards. But yeah, you know, it's hard to sell in, in nowadays when when fans want instant results and owners want instant results. Yeah, no doubt, it is it is hard to do. Um, and I think Bob Bob Castellini maybe ran up into what you're talking about. Uh, you know, he, he talked about win now. We're not going to hold him to that. I, I understand the enthusiasm that went into that statement, but. Uh, on the other hand, it, it's hard to win now uh, when you're st- taking over an organization that's really not had a whole lot of success in a decade. So I, th- I think that's a pretty good example of uh, what you got to do to get back on top. Um, let me uh, 
ask you this. Could you take us through what your typical day is down there at spring training? I mean, we kind of know what goes on uh, for the beat rider during the regular season, but spring training, that's a, a, a different beat, I guess. Could you sort of take us through a typical day? Yeah, I'll try my best. It's, it's a little different. There's, a, there's definitely two different waves of, of of how a spring training is. There's the there's about the, the ten days to two weeks before the game start, and then everything after the game start. But in the, in the first two weeks, it's it, it's at least in the Reds camp, it's a, it's it's how it, uh, it starts very early. Uh, I get up about six forty five, and and Dusty Baker likes to meet with the beat writers at eight a.m. in his office, and uh, he meets eight a.m. He's ready to roll. He's usually probably there at about seven. Uh, and Jerry and Aaron was the same way when he was the manager. He wanted to go at eight a.m. and we we get in there and. You know, you get about 15, 20 minutes, and we all try to come up with some questions just to get the day going. You ask about news and injuries and, and what's going on or what he thought about, you know, the workout yesterday or what's going on in the team. And you, you kind of get the sense of what he's from what he says, at least, if you know, if you have a player that you want to interview and you want to ask Dusty about it, you know, he'll give you the quote, usually usually very a very good quote. He's a very good uh, talker. And, and then from there, you, you come out of there about eight, 15, 8.30, and, and you work the clubhouse for about an hour, and usually the clubhouse is open for about 45 minutes to an hour after we meet with the manager, and and that's where you kind of have your chance to talk to players, and, and if you don't say, especially if you know you're going to be working on, a, on an interview like, you know, Chris Dickerson or, you know, Daryl Thompson or something like that, you, you go wait for them and you hope they're there, and sometimes they're already out, you know, taking some extra BP or, work, you know, getting treatment or something like that. You just gotta wait, and a lot of there's a lot of you know hurry up and waiting in the clubhouses that you're now. You're just standing there waiting for a player to come out, and it looks kind of weird sometimes, but it's just kind of the nature of the business, and they understand. And so you do your interviews, and then you go back out and you write for a while, or you bang out a blog and blog your quotes, and then uh, they work out from you know 9:30 to noon, one o'clock, and you know you go back in and you do it again. You interview more players if you want. You write your story. And, you know, like before the game starts, you can be out of there by 2.30 or so or 3, and it's not a bad day. And then when the game starts, you know, especially when they're playing at Sarasota, you still have to be there for 8 a.m. with Dusty, and you go through the whole morning workout stuff, but then the game is at 1 o'clock, and then you have to be at the game and do the whole game thing. And, and then uh, during the game, unlike the regular season, you're allowed to go into the clubhouse and talk to the starting pitcher when he's ready for you, and you can do some interviews there and, you bang, you bang out your stories, and you might get done by four or five o'clock. That's that's in, that's interesting. You mentioned uh, Dusty there, and that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. What do you think about Dusty? I know he he does certainly give you a good quote, but what do you think about him in terms of? Uh, it, it appears the players really love seem to love playing for him. Is that, you think that's true? I I think I think it's hard to say. I mean, I get the impression they love to play for him play for him, but I always kind of take all that stuff a little, with a little bit of green of salt, and it's not because of Dusty, it's because the nature of the business is players, for the most part, are always not going to be fully trusting or very loving of their manager, because obviously, think about, you know, if you have a boss that runs your day, you're, you're not going to always like what the decisions he makes, and, and obviously, only you know, when you're on a, a so-called office of 25 people, only nine get to play each day, everyone thinks they can play, everyone thinks they should be playing. So there's some little, you know, things like that could go on. There's some politics. But I, I get the overall impression that the players, especially this year's group of players, which is a lot of young roster players, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, speed guys, which Dusty's been wanting to get, and, and Walsh Hockey, too. I, I get the sense that they've wanted to do a system, and it's been a very upbeat camp. The energy of the team is, is definitely uh, noticeable. Um, 
and, and this is by far the most serene camp I've ever experienced in, in the nine seasons I've been doing this. It's, there's been no drama. There's been no weirdness. There's been no major, obviously, superstars. And there's been no injuries, and no major injuries at least. And so it's been a different dynamic. Well, you just answered the next question I had written down here, actually, about this, uh, these reports about there being just a different type of energy. That's the word I was going uh, that, that I've heard. Um, and you know, I was going to ask if it was due to the youth of the team. I guess that's part of it, but there's just uh, less drama, I guess, maybe with some of the, uh, some of the departures from last year. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. and Adam Dunn and Ryan Friel, those are all people. I mean, there's not, uh, they're not bad people. I mean, Griffey's obviously got a, has a reputation or an aura about him as being a superstar, and he's had a love-hate relationship with Cincinnati, but he was a great guy for the reporters. I mean, I never had a problem with him. But, you know, it was the navigating of the, the largeness that was Ken Griffey Jr. and, in some ways, Adam Dunn, because they were longtime veterans, and they were not clubhouse leaders in any traditional sense. Um, they were definitely personalities, but but they had you know they had to be they had their own special treatment in some ways. Some of the things that applied to some players didn't apply to them. And now this year, when we walked in the clubhouse, what I noticed was the first thing I noticed was locker. The first locker was number two for Alex Gonzalez, and every locker went in order all the way around the room until you got to number 90 for Chris Tanovi, who's a non-roster catcher. There's nobody with two lockers. Nobody had you know better lockers than the other person. I mean, Michael Owings is a kind of a veteran, semi-veteran. He's way off in this, you know, bad corner of the clubhouse with number 33. And um, Aaron Harang's got a, you know, he used to have a nicer spot. And then, you know, the last couple of years, he's right, you know, in, the, in his normal, you know, numerical order. And it, it's just different. The players seem to, you know, you can tell when they're running, they have a little bit more, you know, zip to them. And, they all they all get in there early. You, you know, Joey Votto's there at 7:30 in the morning taking ground balls. Jock Jones, who's trying to make the team, who's never played first base in his life, is out on the practice field after a workout trying to scoop balls at first base. I mean, these are just different things that I have not seen as much of in past camps, which is, I guess, a, for some people might be refreshing. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, both Dunn, especially Dunn and Griffey, but it's got to be a looser atmosphere for these young kids trying to learn and trying to really uh, make their way in the league. It's got to be got to be a little bit better in that sense, you would think. It's it's not you know it's 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 not I don't think it's any looser. It's just because like I said, Junior, you know, was one of those. He would sit on this uh, big gigantic trunk. He had this large like traveling trunk that was only his stuff. He kept his stuff under lock and key because a lot of times it had a way of escaping and, and being swiped and he had to, you know, lock it up. And he would sit on that trunk and he would kind of have his commentary on the clubhouse and, you know, he'd make fun of players and tease them and it would all be good natured. And Adam Dunn was the same way. Um, so I, I, they weren't, they weren't negative clubhouse presences, but they were just superstars. And, you know, sometimes when you have a superstar, there's, there's a different treatment and, and players view them as a different, in a different way. And, and now I, I would say, Right now, Aaron Harang is the most mild-mannered guy around. Is the clubhouse uh, elder, you know, for only six seasons he's been on the right. team, the longest tenure. Edwin Carnacion is the third longest tenure, who's only all of 26. You can kind of definitely get a vibe of, you know, it's the different, different or you know, attitude around the clubhouse. Well, that's interesting. That's very interesting. That's something that uh, that we don't get to see. Now we uh, we see your your reports and your dispatches down there uh, from Sarasota, and so we got a little bit of an idea. Uh, your thoughts on how things are going so far, but I wanted to ask you specifically if we could sort of shift gears and talk about that fifth starter spot. Let's talk some specifics sure. here. Uh, who do you think is going to win that spot, uh, or is it way too early to start making predictions? I'll tell you, Chris Welsh the other day spoke with us, and he predicted that uh, Micah Owings was going to win that spot. Well, in my 
in my first blog uh, roster projection, I, I wrote, uh, you know, guess the 25-man roster, and I, I put Michael Owens in the fifth spot. And I also, in my preseason, like my, my pre-spring training, you know, just preview, I put Michael Owens in the fifth spot as well. And I, I really do think he is the leading candidate, especially when, you, you know, they traded for him. I think there's a certain amount of, you know, they really liked him, and they wouldn't have traded Adam Dunn to get him. He was definitely a guy they really wanted in that deal. And and the big thing is that he can pinch hit on the four days he's not uh, he's not pitching, and he can go longer in games because they would be you know, if there's a, a situation where they might have to think about lifting the normal pitcher for the inning of the sixth inning, even though because they needed some offense, even though he can go a couple more innings, they don't have to do that with Micah Owings. So that's a a big plus. Now, however, Homer Bailey has looked sensational, and he seems to be. Speaking of guys with new energy and maybe uh, it's a refound uh, personality, it, it's definitely been him. He's he's been looking good on the mound, and he's definitely been a, you know, a different sort of character than he had been in the last you know, three years since I've known him. Uh, and he ends up being as good as Volquez and Cueto's. You got to think if he puts it together this spring, then then he's probably could push Owings out and into the bullpen. Well, that's interesting. Do you do you think the Reds would? Uh... Bailey's the one that we're all interested in, just to see how he does in, uh, this year. Do you think that the Reds would keep him, him in the bullpen if he doesn't win that fifth spot, or do you think they'll send him to Louisville? It, it's really hard to say. I guess it all depends on how the numbers shake out. Uh, I know that they're not opposed to putting him in the bullpen. There's already said that with Owings and Bailey and Nick Massett, all three of those guys, if they didn't win the job, they could go to the bullpen. But then you look at the numbers, and there's really only one bull, bullpen spot available. Uh, you know, once you once you go down the list, and you had your Cordero, Burton, Weathers, Bray, Rhodes, and Lincoln, and if I didn't say Weathers, Weathers, you uh, you look at that, and you may have one spot left if you have a 12-man staff. And theoretically, that would be Nick Mass's spot going off last year, and that he's out of options. Out of options. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And, that, and that's a huge thing. Obviously, Homer Bailey's got options left, and and you know they, in order to protect keeping Mass, if they don't want to lose him, they in the bullpen and, and, and as a spot starter if they need be or a long reliever. And, you know, Homer can continue to work in Louisville and get us to get his innings in. So, um, but it'll be interesting. I think that's going to be the, on this very low drama camp, that's going to be definitely one of the drama uh, spots this year that everyone's going to be watching is, is the fifth starter. Definitely. You know, and you, you mentioned uh, about Owings that it's sort of the typical situation where they've traded a, a star for him. You know, they're going to want to give him every opportunity. But on the other hand, you got Homer Bailey, the number one draft pick, who uh, generally gets those same kind of, uh, you know, opportunities. So that is that's definitely going to be interesting to watch the uh, the rest of the season. The difference uh, with Homer, though, is that he's not the number one pick of the current regime. I mean, that's Homer true. Bailey was drafted, was drafted two GMs ago by Dan O'Brien. And I think you know he's had his chances as far. He's only 22, so they they haven't given up on him. And I don't think they're at the point. Although a lot of us in the media and certainly fans are wondering, is Homer Bailey a prospect or suspect? You know, Dusty Baker will keep saying, well, he's, and, and Walt Jockety will say, well, he's only 22, and you know he just seems like he's been around forever because he's been talked about for so long. But uh, you know, I definitely think that. You know, like I said, with his stuff, if he's throwing the fastball as well as he did in his one inning and he's got that, you know, off-speed pitch working, you know, he'd be a very interesting candidate for that fifth spot. But, you know, but they're not afraid to send him down because they know they, they can't. 
Absolutely, and and that's what people need to remember. He's just 22. There, there's a lot of uh, career left there for him to, if he's able to get on track. Now, this may, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, flames out here. It might be the last chance he gets with the Reds, but but you're right. He's still he's still young enough to put together a career. Certainly. Um, you watch Jay Bruce every day for a couple of months there last year. What what do you think of Bruce as a player, and then what do you expect to see out of him this year? I think last year was just a, definitely a first time, uh, you know, where he experienced inconsistency. It's the first time he ever maybe dealt with failure in a little bit of a way. I mean, he came out and hit 691 the first, like, seven days or eight days in the major leagues, and he couldn't have asked for a better debut. And, of course, you know, he dealt with the pressure extraordinarily well. I mean, he was obviously much anticipated since he got to spring training that year, and, and you know, and I thought he handled it pretty well. But, you know, He's got, he's got that, uh, you know, he's got work on his on his selectivity. He had, he had some trouble, I think, versus left-handers, I believe. And, you know, there's some, they figured him out a little bit after the first few weeks. And he, you know, you look at his stats. I think every other month he, he kind of struggled. But then, you know, it seemed like down the stretch, he, you know, he started putting it together. And he had a pretty nice last, I think, month and a half for the most part, except for the maybe the last week or so. Uh, and I think just had that experience. I mean, the fact that he had 21 home runs in, in, in you know, three quarters of a season is pretty impressive. And I think going into this year, knowing what to expect, maybe having a little bit of the spotlight taken off of him a little bit just because he's not new anymore, uh, it's going to help him tremendously. And I think the way the order lays out with him and Votto batting third and fifth and, and maybe them leaning a little less on power and maybe more on speed. I think that might, you know, with the, they might want to try to disperse the runs a little bit around the different parts of the lineup, and that might help them. He seems like a good kid, too. Have you found that to be the case? It just seems like he's not all that impressed with himself. He's confident, but uh, it just seems like he's a good-natured kid. Absolutely, he is. Uh, you know, he's, he's definitely a, you know, he's a good family, good upbringing. He's got a a sister with developmental disabilities and he, he, he adores her and, you know, the success he has, he doesn't, he knows it's not, you know, he, the, the troubles he may have or whatever, as far as just striking out or having a tough day, doesn't amount to as much because he's more impressed. Like when his sister gets to go to the mall or gets a new bicycle, those are the things he really, you know, thinks about. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely know he's a big family, family guy and, uh, he's got his head on straight. That's fantastic. The type of, type of guy that if he really puts it together on the field could become a, one of these huge superstars uh, based on that personality. What's we're hoping? Well, him and, and, and Joey Votto, uh, right. another one who's a, who's a uh, you know another good kid, so to speak. I don't know if he's a little old, twenty five, but you know these these guys have the the makeup, which is, which is a huge word among scouts. They love dropping the word makeup because it's kind of intangible, but. In addition to the ability, they, they seem to be handling the increased attention very well. I mean, when they first came in, obviously they had, like I said, you know, we talked about Junior and Dunn, and, uh, you know, on the scene, and now those guys are more front and center than they were along with Brandon Phillips and, you know, the young pitchers and, and, and Harang and, and Arroyo, but they seem to be handling it, you know, so far really well, and it'll be interesting to see how it goes as the season wears on. You mentioned makeup, and that's a question. There's a, one player on the on the Reds that's really – if maybe the favorite of all the guys here at Red Leg Nation, that's Edwin Encarnacion, and um, we love this kid. He seems to be real introspective, sort of shy. You know, um, have you found that to be the case? And is that uh, you mentioned earlier? Maybe he's loosening up a little bit. What, what's your feelings on Edwin? He's definitely the quietest dude there is. I mean, he he's, he's he seemed a little bit more um, talkative the day after he got back from his new contract. He was a little more smiling and and. and 
you can even actually understand him better, which is, which is you know, he speaks very, he speaks good English, but it's very low, he's very soft-spoken, very, very meticulous, uh, deliberate is the right word I'm looking for about how he speaks, and I, and, you know, and even when he speaks to his teammates in Spanish, he's not, like, overly gregarious, um, he's, but he, I think what a lot of people mistake him, that, that he's quiet and subdued, that he's not trying, or he's not, doesn't have any intensity, and I think that's just the opposite, I think he actually puts a lot of pressure on himself to succeed, and that's kind of, been why he's often inconsistent in both the field and at that. I mean, and uh, you know, last year he just he made the the decision for whatever reason to try to become a pole hitter and, and go for the home runs, and his average suffered, and his ability to hit in clutch situations suffered. And, um, and you know, with this this coming year, he seems to be dedicating himself. At least he says he is to try to go back to you know hitting the hitting all fields and trying to hit towards you know right center, and, uh, and that can only serve him well, I think. Definitely, I, you know, a lot of us thought that maybe the reason he uh, he just seemed like he was sort of inside himself a lot and internalizing a lot of the pressure that he was feeling because there's been some pressure on him. He's been sort of the subject of a lot of people uh, criticizing him for uh, various reasons. But he hit up definitely. Go ahead. Yeah, definitely. He internalizes is a great word. He he definitely seems to you know when he fails or doesn't do well, I think he eats at him in a, in a way, and you know. I, I, the job. I mean, he has to learn to deal with it, and you know, this is definitely a, a, as pivotal of a year as he's probably had. I thought last year he was going to be the kind of the so-called pick-to-click, and he, and and he, you know, he had 26 home runs, but he definitely didn't have the kind of year he wanted. And he was disappointed, so uh, you know, he's going to have to learn to, to not internalize so much and and, and just learn how to to what he did so well as far as runs when he was a little bit younger and and get better at throwing. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, it's part of it too. It takes Takes his mistakes with him into the into the throwing, which uh, which is unfortunate. But he works really hard at his defense, and I think if he throw as well as he picks it, he should be in pretty good shape. He uh, he gets pretty good points for being a hard worker. You just mentioned that. Who's the hardest worker on, on this bunch, uh, the Reds this year? If you can pick pick someone to be the hardest worker, mm-hmm. I'd say it's a tie between Votto and Encarnacion. Uh, you know, Votto is about, is very serious about about. His, his job and he's very diligent and he's a very hard worker and, and Carnacion during the regular season you can see it more is you know when we get to we get to the you know most of us get to the ballpark around 2:30 or 3 and you're you know you're in the press box until the clubhouse opens around 3:35 and he could be out there with Chris Spire or before that was Bucky Dent uh, taking ground balls just standing for third base and having balls hit to him. Um, Every day, and he he does that all the time. And it's and it just shows you know how hard he works. You're you're around these guys much more than he is, but uh, but Chris Welsh the other day said the only way he could think of to describe Votto was just he's a man. Uh, that pretty good description. Yeah, I mean I, I mean Chris is actually around them in some ways more because he flies on the charters and right and uh, stays at more of the hotel. I mean I stay at the team hotel sometimes, but not all the time. And and you know he's there all the time, so he may know him a little bit more off the field than I would know him. And he definitely sees him as much on the field. Um, but I would you know definitely say he's he's definitely for a 25 year old, he's he definitely got maturity and uh, you know everything that Joey Votto says or does has a purpose. He does not one of those guys that says something off the the cuff, or he's, you're very rarely, if you're ever, going to catch him saying something stupid. He's, he, he thinks about everything he says, and he really thinks about everything he does. It sounds like a pro uh, at, at such a young age. That's fantastic. Um, 
what you know in terms of doing your job which one of those guys which one of the players is uh, the best quote or the most willing to talk to you i've got in my mind someone who i think it is but i want to get your input who, who's who's the best quote or the most willing to talk to you i'd say the most consistently good quote uh not only as far as being willing to talk i mean some players are always willing to talk but they don't always say anything that's really that dynamic but the best quote i think over the last three plus years now has been uh, bronson arroyo no, that doesn't surprise me. What I was thinking about what about uh, what about Brandon Phillips? He, um, I would say he's he's an okay quote. Uh, he, he he's generally available. I mean, Bronson Arroyo is available at all times, and I can't say that the same about Brandon Phillips in all honesty. But I I say this year he's been making and parts of last year he's made a a, a tremendous effort at at being available and 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 talking. And, and he actually was really good when he first got to town too. So I don't want to say it's it's just a recent thing. But uh, I, w- I would say as far as the best quotes, I mean, where, where a player says something that is different. I mean, every time – I was talking about this with actually Hal McCoy today. Every time Bronson Arroyo says something, it's different. It's, it's, it's inter- you know, in some ways it's entertaining. It's kind of funny. But it's, he's not afraid to, to call people out, and he's, and he's brutally honest. And I think a lot of players are afraid to speak the truth sometimes because they don't want to tick off their teammates. They don't want to make you know, opponents mad. They don't want to upset their fans. And Arroyo, almost down the line, is not afraid to take on any issue. You want to bring up an issue that's a hot-button issue for that team, and he'll he'll say it. He's never been afraid. That's interesting to hear. It's not really surprising. Just uh, I wonder if some of that has to do with him going through the ringer in Boston, a bigger market. Uh, of course, I get he wasn't really a – he may, probably wasn't a go-to quote guy in Boston like he is here, you would think. Well, they loved him there, though. I mean – he has this uh, erstwhile music career, partially out of what happened in Boston, and he had his you know moment in, in the World Series, and he's always been a fan favorite there. So, uh, and I know the, the writers there liked him a lot. So he's just, for whatever reason, he's just not intimidated by by media, and he's a, he definitely with only three beat writers now is a lot less than the nine or ten I think that Boston has. So it's it's, it's, it's you know it's not a big deal for him. Um. One other player you mentioned him briefly, but uh, Aaron Harang. Um, you know, we've we've seen your reports that he's lost weight. Uh, is he is he looking like he's fully back from last year's injuries? And you expecting a big year from him? Uh, it's hard to say if he's really fully back. He kind of had that inter-squad game where he pitched a couple innings, and you know, it, it looked like he was pretty good there. But you know, it's not against it's against his own teammates. Um, but just generally, yeah, he looks good, and I, I, I think he's going to be back this year. I, I, I'd be shocked if he comes back and turns another six and seventeen clunker uh, like he did last year. Um, you know, things just did not work out for him after that that uh, incident out of San Diego where he had to do some relief work in a pinch, and um, and I, I just think he's going to be better. I, I think he's dedicated to being better. He, he's got the right attitude. He, he's put that season behind him. And he said he flushed down the can uh, first thing as he got home, and he, and the guy is a, another one of those hard workers. So he's a, he dedicated himself, and I think now that he, you know if he gets his legs under him, I think the part of the problem is that his legs kind of wore out from you know pitching three times in eight days, and then his legs got a little worn, and maybe it tweaked his mechanics a little bit, and that's what the forearm you know went on him, and, and everything else just kind of spiraled out of control. Even when he was healthy, he wasn't pitching very well. So. I think this will be a big year for him. He's going to be uh, if he's as good, I mean, it really hinges around him. If he's as, if he's better, and the other pitchers do what they're supposed to do, I mean, the Reds could could conceivably be, you know, 
uh, in the conversation. That was going to be my next question. I, I didn't know whether you even want to answer whether you thought they could be uh, a 500 team this year. And you're right, I agree. I think it all revolves around that pitching. The pitching could be very good, really better than we've seen in Cincinnati in, in forever. So I think that's that's part of the key. Are they, are they going to be able to score runs, though, is the question. What do you think? That's that's exactly the problem. I mean, I mean, it's, it, on paper, and everyone, I, hate to, I hate the term on paper because it really doesn't mean much, but right. – I mean, they didn't make any changes in the winter to their rotation. And they, they had the four guys in Harang, Cueto, Volquez, and Arroyo. They, they have a huge pool of guys for the fifth spot where, theoretically, if you, whoever you pick, you have three backups in AAA or in the bullpen. Um, they're going to be a little bit better defensively if Gonzalez is back. And then you look at scoring runs. And they, they lost Dunn. Griffey, they, they lost, but he wasn't much of a run producer last year, but he was always kind of a sort of a threat in the lineup. But Dunn, with his 40 homers, and every year 100 RBIs, 100 walks, 100 runs, and that's gone. They didn't replace it. And, you know, Walt Jockey and Dusty Baker will tell you they you can spread it out and you can run more and get, you know, maybe six guys that hit 20 homers instead of one guy that hit 40. But at the end of the day, you know, they had trouble scoring last year, and that was with Dunn. And now, without Dunn, how are they going to score? That's that's the big one. So that will ultimately make or break what what their season's going to be. And I'm not sold yet that they can do it. Well, we're not either. We're we're awfully worried at Red Leg Nation. It's uh, we're going to try to be optimistic this spring. But that's the you know I know that uh, getting rid of Dunn's defense and Junior's defense uh, helps a little bit. You'll prevent some more runs maybe. But goodness, I don't just don't know how you I don't know how you replace that much offense, especially from Dunn. You hit that on the head. Um, and you're putting and you're putting the, the onus on – I mean, I know I said before with Bruce that, you know, in a way it's helping him having – if, if it, this plan works out and they spread the wealth a little bit with the run production. But at the end of the day, you have an average middle of – you know, the average age of your three, four, and five hitters is like 24. And that's that's a lot of pressure to put on, on a young person. And I saw it in, in Minnesota with uh, Morneau and Maurer. The, you know, they, they weren't quite ready for that for that burden yet, and the, the, the Twins had horrible time scoring runs in 2005 when it was their first full year doing that. And obviously, the year after that, they got much better at it. But it's just a it's it's it's, it's a type of pressure that you have to be able to handle. Well, young players are inconsistent anyway. You know, they need time to sort of build into that role. And I worry that people may sure. get da- get da- down on Bruce a little bit if he doesn't uh, if he's not immediately uh, the superstar here, starting his first uh, from his first opening day. Um, it's hard to you know at his age, it's hard to count on him to be that run producer every single day. He's got to have time to grow into that. I thought the I think the Morneau and Maurer uh, analogy is a pretty good one. Yeah, and and you know. And uh, at least when, when Morneau and Maurer were, were doing it, the team had cut, was coming off three straight division titles. And unfortunately for the, for the Bruce's and Bottos and Phillips of the world, I mean, the Reds fans right now, I just, just from the emails I get and just reading the comments and sometimes reading the blogs, is they have a very low threshold for losing right now. They're, they're sick of it. It's been eight years uh, of no, uh, no, you know, no winning season. It's been since 1995 since there's been a playoff berth. And, I think you know this, this, there's a certain expectation from fans right now that they they don't they don't want to see any more losing and I think that if they give the you know if they're patient it won't be you know they hopefully they won't uh, be too disappointed too soon if, if things don't work out right away but if if they are you know the players will have to deal with it that comes with the territory. Well, I'm you know I, I'm one of those guys that's uh, I'm having to force myself to be patient because I'm I'm one of the fans that's sick of losing but on the other hand you do have to look. I don't expect this year to be a very good year at all, uh, frankly. But there are pieces in place that I think starting in 2010 
uh, some of these minor league guys, your Vilekas and Frasers and uh, some of these guys, you got a chance. You got there's a, I guess a light at the end of the tunnel. I really feel like over the next three or four years uh, after this year, they've got a chance. They got a window. Yeah, the fans have heard that before, unfortunately, but I think there's a difference though because before it was Jim Bowden kind of selling the selling the product, and and he really didn't. You know, he was they're talking about the future, but they were mortgaging it a lot to get veterans, and that was part of the like I said earlier about the lack of continuity in the planning. They would they would you know go with the plan for a while and then get itchy when they weren't winning and, and, and deviate. And I think now with the the Reds and it started with Dan O'Brien and the Wayne Krisky now into Walsh Ockady, they've they have a little in to some degree they've the focusing on the, the young talent does give you a reason for hope for you know, for twenty ten and a possibility because all the people that they're grooming from Frazier to Valeka to Juan Francisco, uh to um Josh Renicky, they're all very promising good players and it's it's gonna be interesting because you know, maybe this year, maybe they went 75 to 80 games, which if they get to 82, that's a that's a huge thing. And and then they set themselves up for next year. But you know how it is, though. Teams try to get better and teams spend in free agency, and there's always somebody that might be a little bit better. So you, you never want to count on them two years from now because everything could change between now and then. But it, for now, at least, it, you, know, you, you have to be cautiously optimistic. You're exactly right. The, I feel like for the first time in more than a decade, really, the pieces are in place. If they, you know, they're on the on the right path. We'll just see if they screw it up or not. Um, we'll see. Uh, we'll try to wrap up here, but I wanted to ask you. Started a blog recently. What do you, are you enjoying that? What do you think about that? You know, it's I'm still getting used to. It. I really do enjoy it, though. Uh, it's it's a challenge because I'm trying to figure out when I should blog and when I should write the stories and and what fans want to see. I, 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 you know, right now, I guess I'm trying. I'll be I'll be honest. I'm a little frustrated. I, you know, I want to see more comments and, and, and see if people are, are responding to what I'm writing. I have no idea what kind of traffic I'm getting. I just found out I was 16th among the pro blogs, but I don't know if that means I've gotten five readers or if I got 15 or 25. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that people are responding to it well and that they enjoy it. Uh, I'm enjoying having a, an avenue for, for some content that I can't put in the regular stories it's kind of a like a, you get a little extra i think i you know, i try to touch on the topics that i'm going to write about but i also throw in a little extra and some extra quotes and maybe a little more analysis and obviously breaking news is a way of for me to get breaking news up faster than uh than on a regular site because they have to go through the editing process on the regular stories and you know if there's an injury or a trade or whatever i can throw it on the blog instantaneously and it's right there so uh, I'm going to enjoy having that avenue uh, this season, and, and I hope, I really hope people take to it and enjoy it. I, unfortunately, I'm so late to the party. I, I, you know, I hope there's room for me because I've, obviously the other beat writers have had blogs for years, and I know Mark Lancaster way many years ago started blogging, uh, and really it got popular with him. So, uh, you know, if people can find room for me too, I'll be, I'll be thrilled. Well, I think people will definitely. We've linked you up. We'll we'll do it again here. Uh, when I appreciate post it. this, but I think people will find you because you're there every day, and, and there's a lot of Reds fans out here that are sort of hungry for that day-to-day. That's what we found with the blog. They're hungry for day-to-day conversation, and uh, from your perspective, you get something obviously that we can is that you see it uh, with your own eyes every day. And I, so, uh, it's been a, your, your blog's been great so far, and we'll we'll keep we'll keep uh, keep up with it. All right, thank you very much. I I appreciate it. It's, it's you know I I wrote the other day. You know you know I'm all about feedback. If, if we want more of something and I can do it, I'll be glad to try. And if, 
you know, if, I, if I'm doing something that stinks, you know, let me know that too. I, you know, I, I obviously read the comments and the uh, the emails I get, so I I, 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 I think I got some thick skin now, so I can pretty much take what I what I'm given. Uh oh, you're gonna be tested on that, I bet. I'm sure I will. I mean, it's and it's okay. I mean, I've gotten fan, readers and Reds fans that have told me that you know that I'm terrible, and I've gotten some that appreciate the work I do. And and, and you know, you just you can't you can't you know. Live and live and you know die by the by all the comments. You just got to keep plugging away and hope you're doing the right job. That's right. That's right. Uh, I've never been wrong about anything, so I don't know about any of this negative feedback. But uh, <laughs> uh, if I ever get any, I'll know what you're talking about. I guess. Um, I do appreciate you taking the time for us today, Mark. Uh, I know you're busy down there in Sarasota, and uh, just want to wish you the best and uh, keep up the great work down there. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate you having me on. It's my first podcast, so I've, uh, I hope I did okay. Oh, fantastic. I hope you'll uh, consider coming on at some point uh, later on in the season uh, with yeah, us. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, appreciate it, uh, Mark. Check the. Uh, uh, we'll tell all of the listeners to check the post at Red Leg Nation for the link to your blog. Mark My Words is the name of it. And uh, thanks again. All right. Take it easy. All right. Thanks, Mark. Talk to you later. All right. Mark Sheldon, everyone. Thanks a lot to Mark for joining us on the podcast. We look forward to speaking with uh, with Mark several times, hopefully during this upcoming season, get his perspective on the Reds from his perch up there in the press box and uh, from the Reds' clubhouse as he does his job as the beat writer. That's all for today's edition of the Red Leg Nation Radio Podcast. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, suggestions, comments, send those to me at chad at redlegnation.com. Also, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that via iTunes. You can also do that via the R. In radio tab up there at the top of redlegnation.com. I'll give you some instructions. It'll also have links to all the previous podcasts. This is episode 15. That's a sort of a milestone, isn't it? Uh, not much of one. Um, thanks again for listening to us. Uh, see you again next week on the Red Leg Nation radio podcast. <laughs>